This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 163. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I have on this weekly news episode of the podcast, Jacob Paulson. Howdy, Riley. <laughs> Howdy do. <laughs> anyway, like I said, today is our usual news episode. Uh, in fact, uh, we've got a load of great stories today. Uh, obviously, a lot of thoughts and uh, stories um, and, and thus discussion today that are probably related to Las Vegas and or potential gun control. Uh, we got a lot of uh, uh, of our own thoughts and opinions uh, in debate on that today, so don't miss that. I know that's probably on your minds as well, you listeners out there. And also we got several awesome justified stories for today's episode, including uh, one Chicago robber who went after an armored truck driver with a sledgehammer and he pays the price. And also a situation where an attempted burglar was, was uh, shot or they tried to shoot him. Um, but a, uh, a bystander, unfortunately, was also struck in that process. That's something we definitely want to avoid. So we'll get into some lessons, hopefully, that we can all learn from this, uh, from today's episode. But first, today's episode is brought to you by, you guessed it, Guardian Nation. Yay! So if you're looking... Yeah, of course. Uh, if you're looking for more training and better gear... You've probably heard it from us before, but there's a reason why. <laughs> Guardian Nation is the place that you want to be if you want to be part of the fastest growing tribe of self-defense shooters nationwide. And if you want to get all of the resources that we have available to try to help you be a better self-defense minded shooter. In fact, we've got our shooter skill library, our Guardian Nation live broadcasts and past recordings in the archive. And in fact, this Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we have as, as our guest for the month of October, Tim Schmidt, founder of the USCCA, the United States Concealed Carry Association. Now, some of you probably heard our interview we did with Tim. Uh, was that last week, Jacob? Yeah, it was last week, last October second. Yep, uh, on the podcast, uh, fantastic interview, and we're gonna dive further into the nitty gritty with uh, our friend Tim Schmidt on Thursday evening at seven p.m. on Guardian Nation Live, part of our monthly live Q and A sessions that we do here as one of the few, or excuse me, did I, I said that wrong way, one of the many <laughs> benefits of being a Guardian Nation member. Check it out. Go to guardiannation.com to check out what it takes to become a guardian. And we're getting close to uh, that month of November where we will ship another gear of another... Boy, I'm getting all mixed up in my words today. Another box of freaking great gear from getsmetary.com. Yeah, to qualify for that, if you were to join today, you would need to join at either the quarterly or annual subscription to qualify for the box we're shipping in November, but uh, it's going to be sweet. It will indeed. And so, as is pretty typical with our news episodes of the week, now I realize we try to get these out on Mondays each week. Uh, Yesterday was a holiday, although that's not necessarily an excuse, right? Jacob was working. I was working. I was trying i was planning on working mostly but uh we we got a freak snowstorm yesterday didn't we and uh 
did, I don't know about your neighborhood, but I live in a neighborhood with lots of mature trees. And so anytime we get those early fall or late spring snowstorms uh, where we've still got a lot of leaves on the trees, in our neighborhood, it means like utter disaster because tons of these old huge trees um, have big limbs and things come down. And uh, so my internet was out for a while yesterday. Um, probably related to that. That that was the impression I was given. So anyway, finally the internet was back on and, and uh, today we're recording that podcast. Uh, so today we have a training tip and it is called, and this was Jacob's name he gave it by the way, <laughs> close your eyes and squeeze. <laughs> sure. That's exactly what it is. Great name. It's an awesome name. Just sounds, uh, sounds like I'm getting an exam at the doctor's office. <laughs> or maybe so, I'm giving the exam. <laughs> close yeah, your eyes yeah. and squeeze. Close your eyes and squeeze. So this was uh, this is something that we, you know, I think is a lot is well known, you know, among a lot of trainers in the industry. But we had um, really some big like aha moments for some of our students in the class we taught, uh, the Guardian Essentials Pistol class we taught on Saturday, this last Saturday, October seventh. And this is one that really stuck with some of those uh, students and really made a big difference for them. Yeah, uh, this is a drill I've enjoyed doing for a number of years. And, you know, there's a couple of applications for this drill, but uh, the way we, we use it in this in the Guardian Essentials Pistol course is for some students, it makes a real big impact when they have a big problem with anticipating the shot. And as, you know, most of you experienced shooters out there know with anticipation so often the result is that a down and and sometimes a little bit to the side and if you're right-handed a lot of times it's down and a little bit to the right or excuse me a little bit to the left if you're a left-handed shooter it's downward and a little bit to the right but basically anticipating the shot is a is a, is a jerk downward uh, the brain is programmed to try to counter the explosion going off in your hand as a gun is fired. And when you anticipate that explosion, when you anticipate that bang, automatically, like without having to think about it, without trying to do anything, our brain just says, this is going to go bang and it's going to kick backward. And so my reaction is to try to counter that by pushing forward and, and down. And so we get shots that that kind of go all over the place but generally group somewhat downward and a little bit to one side uh on on the target and so the close your eyes and squeeze drill <laughs> is a great drill i think for some shooters to to try to take that out of the equation and the reason it does when we close our eyes and just press the trigger and we're not concerned with our sights or our sights being on the target or trying to hit a certain point on a target or anything like that. When we just close the eyes and all we're focused on is pressing the trigger nice and smoothly, most people don't anticipate. And there's a couple other things you could do that are, you know, that I think help with this and in some cases uh, demonstrate how this is a uh, a problem with with a shooter and, and it's a problem with me it's a problem with i think probably jacob from time to time like all shooters i think for the most part unless you're just phenomenal uh probably struggle with anticipation from time to time but this is a great drill i think i and also a confidence booster you could probably touch on that a little bit jacob as far as the, the confidence that uh, shooters gain when they successfully complete this drill yeah, I mean, once you've once you've really understood the essence of of grip 
and you know you really are kind of locking down your gun and you're still having you know issues not having just perfectly grouped shots right where you want them to go you know this this drill allows you to eliminate that anticipation issue and have that smooth trigger pull and with that smooth trigger pull you're going to hit the target right where you want to. If you're gripping the gun properly, if you can hold it steady and you can slowly, smoothly press that trigger, it will go where it's supposed to go. And so it's quite this magical euphoric kind of thing for the shooter to close the eyes, squeeze the trigger, open the eyes and say, oh, holy crap, that went that went right to where I wanted it to go. It's like, well, the, yeah, I, True. And, and to them, it's almost magical because their eyes were closed, but it's because the eyes were closed that it worked. The fact that the eyes were closed prevented the shooter from anticipating recoil and allowed them to just smoothly press the trigger and whammo, there it is. It it feels euphoric for a lot of these people. It, it really does. It, I don't know that we've explained what the drill is exactly uh, for the listeners. So just, just so that there is full clarity on this, um, w- what we typically do, particularly with newer uh, shooters or, or first-time attendees of our Guardian Essentials pistol course is uh, we, we take basically, it's it's like a two-inch diameter, um, we'll call it a bullseye, okay? It's a two-inch diameter circle target. Uh, and we have them aim at that. And this is done from, I think we did it on Saturday from about four yards, three to four, maybe five yards at the most. But, but for most average shooters, three to four yards is about right. And so we have them place their sights on that two inch circle on the target. And when they're ready, they close their eyes and they press the trigger. And yeah, it it is such a confidence booster to a shooter when they realize, wow, I just hit this little target with my eyes closed. And then you explain the significance of that is, well, look, the reason you're able to do that is because you did not anticipate, you didn't take, you didn't do anything abnormal with your hands or with the gun that took it off the target when you pressed the trigger. That is so prevalent when you are looking at sights, looking at target, and you're trying to make the gun go bang at a specific time at a specific place because you're trying to hit this this one point. And when you take the eyes out of the equation and they realize that they isolate, I'm just I'm just trying to hold the gun really still and press a trigger, which is basically all that's required to achieve that. Then then it's like their their minds and horizons are expanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give it a shot next time you're at the range. You know, just just to isolate that trigger movement and just do it as smooth as possible with your eyes closed, and you might be surprised the magic. Yeah, I, I might have a related training tip next week uh, on along this same subject. So stay tuned next week for that. Uh, I think it'll be a help. If it so, won't sound as cool as close your eyes and squeeze, <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Turn your head and cough. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is also brought to you by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense. He's got a lot of great training courses coming up on his schedule. And then also our, our third sponsor of today's episode is Sports Afield, Quick Access Safes, as well as their full line of awesome gun safes. We hope you'll check out our sponsors and support them and support us, uh, as that's one of the ways that we're able to continue producing this podcast. First news story today, uh, once again, you know, last week we spent some time uh, talking about the tragedy that took place uh, near the Mandalay Bay uh, Casino and Hotel 
uh, in Las Vegas. And by now, all of you listening, I'm sure, are at least aware of what happened. And there's been a lot of speculation thrown around, a lot of false reports, some true reports. And, and the fact is, there's still a lot of details that have yet to come out from the, the investigation on this. Um, but we we still, I think, stand at 59 uh, individuals that uh, perished in this attack and I think a little less than 500 uh, that were wounded, uh, some of whom may have been just wounded because of the uh, just trying to get away uh, in a crowd of 22,000 people. And it was a, a terrible event. But I think also very terrible, Jacob, and I know you would agree, uh, that is something that's coming out of this is all of this crying for gun control. Uh, and uh, so one thing almost immediately that came out, uh, and this is a story I'm, there's a, this was all over the place, but this is just, this is just one of them. And this is from politifact.com, uh, talking about Hillary Clinton, who almost immediately on Monday of last week comes out and talks about, uh, well, this is her, a direct quote from, from her tweet. The crowd fled at the sound of gunshots. Imagine the deaths if the shooter had a silencer, which the NRA wants to make easier to get Clinton tweeted. Uh, Yeah, so (laughs) I am so tired of people referring to the NRA like it's an entity, like it's its own human with its own mind. Like these people know that the NRA is an organization of five million people, right, including you and me. Yeah, and actually, it's a funny thing because I mean, yes, does the NRA have a lot of power to? I mean, certain extent, yes. Uh, Is it the largest uh, gun lobby, you know, in the country? Yes, Uh, but. Does it is it almighty and all powerful like they would have us believe or have their constituents believe? Uh, no, it, it it is made up of members of about five million, um, but that is far from all gun owners in America. In fact, uh, there's far fewer members of NRA that are gun owners than than than, than the They're remainder not. of them. Sure. So. And and if the if us members stopped supporting, stopped you know paying membership dues, the NRA would cease to exist. <laughs> frankly, like they would lose all their supposed. I mean, they. That's my point. Is it is they talk they you know the NRA gets from the gun control community they get singled out and and talked about as its own unique thing, and I think those gun control people forget that. It's a representation of American citizens, How, you know, whatever that number may be. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's perhaps not as relevant as the point that she thinks that silencers would have made it worse. Well, I, I think we can come back to that. I think we should address the NRA in this issue to some extent because I, I know some of our listeners are expecting that to a degree. And there's some things that came out in the last week from the NRA that, uh, like it or hate it, uh, is, is relevant to the discussion to some degree. But Let's address what Hillary Clinton actually said. And she said that basically the Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas uh, terror attack would have been worse had uh, silencers or suppressors been more easily obtained, suggesting that this man may have, you know, at that point might have used a suppressor in the attack and people wouldn't be able to hear the gunshots and thus they wouldn't know how or even whether they needed to get away. What do you say to that? I think it's she's an idiot. I mean, my immediate thought when I read this was, you've obviously never seen a silencer slash suppressor in use. There's no conceivable way you could be familiar with that product 
and make this comment. It is ridiculous. I mean, there's so many reasons it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because, A, it doesn't make a gunshot not hearable. I mean, we're talking about taking something down by 30 or 40 decibels, not by, you know, I mean, we're, we're not talking about making it so you can't hear the thing. It's crazy. I mean, it's mind-blowing. We're talking about 190 decibels versus 170 decibels or 190 versus 150 maybe. It, it's not something that all of a sudden is like, huh, huh, yeah, that guy just fell over. I wonder where that's coming from. Now, you'd still hear it. So that's the first thing I think is ridiculous. Even more ridiculous, though, than that is the fact that let's assume the silencers actually made guns silent, which they don't. But if they did, would the death toll have been higher? No, it wouldn't have been any higher. You had 40,000 people, you know, allegedly crowded into a very compact space. Do you think that whether or not these things were hearable or not really made that significant of a difference? I, I wager it did not. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you're wrong. I think it's also irrelevant whether it's true or not. But I, I think on every every line here, she's she's crazy. There's just no way. Right. Now, let's just be clear on a couple of the facts. Uh, first of all, early reports of this incident did suggest there were 40,000 people in that venue. Uh, but later we found out it was about 22,000. Uh, about sure. suppressors... Um, Typical gunshots, I think, are around 155, 160, 165 decibels. Depending on the gun. Yeah, it, obviously, yeah. There's great variances. I mean, a 22 is far you know, quieter than a 300 you know, Winchester Magnum. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, as a general rule of thumb, we're talking about 160 decibels. Maybe a little more, maybe a touch less. Uh, most suppressors... They, I mean, they do. There's a lot of uh, amazing technology that goes into them these days, and a lot of uh, calculations and everything to generally get them down to about 130, you know, 130 to 135 decibels. Now, basically, where we consider a suppressor to be hearing safe is around the 135 decibel mark. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, consider that the suppressor does about as much for you as like good earmuffs. You know, if to, to put that into context, because good earmuffs usually have an NRR of 15 to 30 decibels. So that kind of gives you a ballpark idea. It's not like you put on earmuffs and you can't hear the gunfire anymore. Yeah. And it's still in the realm of a loud jackhammer or a uh, jet engine at like 100 yards away, which is pretty dang loud. But here's the, here's the thing. I, I used to study, well, I didn't really like study hearing protection really in depth, but I, I, I am a 30 hour OSHA certified, uh, safety manager, whatever you Wow. Riley. It goes back to my construction days and I, I obtained that certification, uh, as part of my job. And so what I know is that hearing damage is a result of high decibels, you know, really, really, really high decibels can, you know, can, result in hearing damage for short durations of time, or you can have kind of loud noises, but they're over a long duration that can also be damaging to hearing. So actually in actuality, if you had 135 decibel noise for, you know, four hours straight, it's going to hurt your, it's going to damage your ears. But when you have 135 decibels for the split second that a gunshot is, it, it doesn't really impact your hearing, you know, the way it would obviously if it was longer in duration. So that's kind of, you know, that that's the things to keep in mind. Um, so when we talk about suppressors, it gets it down to a hearing safe level based on the duration that that sound is occurring. It, it's not like it gets it down to 
you know, 80 de- decibels, which 80 decibels we could withstand safely for, you know, a number of hours. Long exposure, yeah. Right? So, in other words, gunshots are still quite loud even when suppressed, especially downrange from the gunshot. Now, that's something people don't realize. Uh, the The goal with suppressors is to make a hearing safe for the shooter and not necessarily for someone that is in front of the muzzle. And that's another important distinction to to keep in mind. And also, you're going to hear, depending on the rounds, the supersonic crack of the round. And you'll hear that uh, from its origination point all the way down to the point that it makes impact, uh, or as long as it remains supersonic. So just because you have a suppressor does not mean you won't be able to hear and kind of tell where that shot's coming from. Do you want to know what the bigger issue was with this Las Vegas deal? It was the fact that it was an urban environment. Mm-hmm. He was not using a suppressed weapon, and yet people still had a hard time telling where he was located, and even if there was only one shooter. Many people thought they were hearing shots from all over the place, even different directions, and that is because it was an urban environment with other buildings in the area, including MGM Grand and New York. New York's just down the street a little bit, and you had the Luxor right there. There's all these other buildings right there, and sound is bouncing off and reflecting from a variety of directions. And that is a bigger issue than the suppressor. Oh, by far. Yeah. So, <laughs> debunked. Mrs. Mrs. Clinton, you have very much so like lots of other politicians and media organizations in the last week, you have admitted your own ignorance in this one. Not to suggest, or, you know, or we didn't even say anything about the lack of, I think, just good common sense and human decency. Like, to, to come right out like that and Day politicize up. the event. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So our next story is, uh, boy, I, I came across this article and uh, I, I really latched onto this because I, I think there could be something here, Jacob. And I think this is worthy of discussion on our podcast. The title of this is The Possible Las Vegas Motive That Only Mark Stein Is Talking About. Now, if you don't know who Mark Stein is, he's a conservative commentator, uh, has a radio program, and, and sometimes he's on Fox News and a few other places. Uh, so he's talking about what could be the motive of Stephen Paddock, the the perpetrator of this heinous act. And this was published on DailyWire.com. Now, I don't necessarily mean, Jacob, to like get into speculation about motives necessarily, but this is the one I heard that I was like, huh, that actually kind of makes sense based on everything else we're hearing or actually the lack of what we're hearing. Meaning, typically with many of the other mass shooting events that have occurred in this country, we find out, even within days or hours, that the person had ties to some militaristic or terrorist organization, or they had ties politically in some way that might have, you know, suggest their motives, uh, or they or they were antisocial and they were angry at society and mental, you know, uh, uh, they had a mental handicap that made them more prone to uh, being that way or taking out their 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 rage, you know, that way. Um, we're hearing very little that would suggest any of any of the typical motives in this situation. This article basically says, so in a nutshell, folks, but this is a really good article. I think you got to go read it. 
It basically says, maybe Stephen Paddock did this simply to bring about the discussion and hopefully passing of laws relating to gun control in this country. Yeah, the the author of this article makes it clear that there's no evidence to, to, su- to support this either, that it's purely a theory. Right. Um, w- there's certainly no evidence to suggest it's not true, uh, only that there's no evidence to support it. And uh, for me, that's like because the sky is blue kind of thing. So, so Riley, I'm, I'm not as intrigued by the article, though certainly would encourage anyone to go read it. Uh, just because to me, it's a complete shot in the dark. It's, yeah, and maybe he hates casinos and gambling. You know, I mean, it, it could, <laughs> that, that, that's just as plausible of an argument because there's no evidence to say yes or no. It's just a shot in the dark. Um, just because that, that is a natural reaction of the thing, that doesn't mean anything. I, I, I don't know. So for me, it's like, eh, sure, maybe, whatever, or maybe not. Well, okay. <laughs> I know you don't really care like I care. Uh, and like I said, I don't mean to be necessarily speculating about things, but I've heard a lot of speculation in the last week, including all manner of conspiracy theories, which I, I that, that stuff, you know what, folks, just put a stop to that because it's not helpful. Well, and I'll admit, we, we owe an apology to our listeners because last week when we just briefly reported on this, uh, when we did our recording uh, of, of our podcast. It was right after ISIS had claimed responsibility for this. And it was very soon after we published the podcast that that was basically debunked. And it turned out ISIS had nothing to do with this whatsoever. And they were just like taking credit well, for things. So uh, an apology to that one. I, I uh, That's fair. But, but the truth is, if I recall how we reported on that, we simply said, and now ISIS is claiming responsibility. Uh, we, yeah, we, you know, we, like, were, we were fair. I don't, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, so I don't think we were. It was just simply, hey, here are the facts. Here's what has been reported, and here's you know what the what the media is saying, and and and, and so that was very much at the time that was the news, and and it was certainly true in that ISIS claimed responsibility, and there's not been really anything about that said ever since, and we don't believe at this time that, that ISIS had anything to do with it. Of course, they claim responsibility, like they claim responsibility for all manner of things, but. You know, I think this one's, I I appreciated this viewpoint because it's relevant in that it suggests the motive was to create more gun control. And what, of course, what is going on right now in the country, regardless of if this actually was Stephen Paddock's uh, motive or not, that doesn't matter now at this point. Um, but because what is actually going on right now, a big national debate for or against, but I mean, what we're seeing on the media is a lot of, we need more gun control. And immediately we, we had Congress, you know, men and women coming out, uh, saying the same thing. We need more gun control. We need to look at these bump stocks. We need to consider regulating them. We need to outlaw them. Nancy Pelosi is on record as saying, you know, well, people think that, uh, it, it, for the people that think that bump stocks may turn into a uh, slippery slope, she says, I hope it does. And so, wow, here we are. It's, it's kind of ironic because under Obama, uh, who much was in a much better position as a president, especially early on in his term, to pass gun control and would more likely have done so. And now we're eight months into President Trump and we are closer than ever to than we ever were in the eight years under Obama to actually passing gun control 
laws in this country again. And uh, I think that's a great travesty. It, it is. Um, I mean, our next news story kind of dives right into that if you want to go there next. Please, enlighten us. So Senator Feinstein, that's how I say her name. I have to pronounce it and use that accent, Feinstein. She's introduced a bill to ban bump stocks. Uh, and, and I was trying to pull it up, and it looks like the copy of the bill text is here in this ABC article. And the text says, it shall be unlawful for any person to import, sell, manufacture, transfer, or possess in or no wait, or possess in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce a trigger crank, a bump fire device, or any part, combination of parts, component, device, attachment, or accessory that is designed or functions to accelerate the rate of fire of a semi-automatic rifle, but not convert the semi-automatic rifle into a machine gun. End quote. Right. So essentially, this very specifically, you know, if it were if it were passed, if it were to get some traction, uh, it would uh, make it illegal to have anything on a semi-automatic rifle that increases its rate of fire. Right. This is an astounding bill to me because, and please note that this is, this has been referred to as the bump stock bill, but please know it also says a trigger crank. Now that's a fairly new product. Well, it's been out a couple of years, but, but that's a product that some people out there, I mean, I, there's a video of Jerry Mitchellick demonstrating one, and uh, I mean, so that that gets outlawed outlawed as well. But also, please know that the verbiage here is kind of vague, and it essentially says anything that in, that's designed to increase or accelerate the rate of fire of a semi-automatic rifle. I would be very. I mean, I'm already, of course, very wary of this bill, but. And mostly on principle, if anything, I don't care about bump stocks really at all. I have no desire to have one. Uh, I've shot with one. Yep. Okay. Been there, done that. It was fun. I won't deny it was fun, but that's basically, in my opinion, the purpose of a bump stock is just to have fun. And uh, I, I don't really care. You know, like that's great. Uh, frankly, it's more fun, I think, to shoot a, a select fire, a fully, an actual fully automatic gun. But where I care about this bill, especially, is the potential that it might have to be interpreted to mean any device that might accelerate the rate of fire of a semi-automatic rifle. And I have to ask the question, Jacob: Could that include aftermarket lighter, you know, triggers? Yep, I absolutely think it could. I mean, there's the answer. <laughs> I don't think that's even debatable. I think it absolutely includes an aftermarket trigger or a lot of products, frankly, that, that could increase. Because, right. I mean, the question is, what's the benchmark? You know, faster than what? <laughs> faster than, than the way it's manufactured? Uh, faster than, you know, I mean, there, there's, no, there's no base mark here in the bill. Uh, so to increase, you know, the rate of, of fire, does that mean that we're all going to start picking, you know, what lowers and, you know, trigger assemblies we buy based on the rate of fire that the manufacturer built because they can build them as fast as they want? Uh, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think it's a little far reaching. And I, I also think that if passed, it gets real easy to start to you know, work on other legislation that's all about firearm modification. And in this case, rate of fire uh, is more than just you know the a bump stock or a trigger crank. There's all these other little things that just l- might lighten the trigger that I think absolutely would fall into this. Now, 
my position on the whole bump stock issue, I mean, like I said, I don't really care. I mean, frankly, if they were outlawed, wouldn't hurt my feelings much, except for the principle of the matter. And the principle here is, this is what I think is so silly about legislation like this, is that I can bump stock or bump fire my guns already from the hip by sticking my finger through the trigger guard, holding against my leg, pulling forward on on the on the uh, handguard, and guess what? My AR will go. And guess what? Mr. Paddock could have stood in that hotel room and done just that. And so simply outlawing a product, an accessory like these slide fire and bump fire stocks doesn't mean it would have prevented Las Vegas at all. And so really, we we know, we know, and, and based on the words from Nancy Pelosi, we know that really what they really, really want is to just flat out outlaw whole classes of firearms, including semi-automatic firearms and especially the dreaded AR-15. Yeah, I'm, I think we're just seeing a lot of repetition um, I, I, here's, here's what I would say is last week has been awesomely eye opening in, into getting some more insight into the gun control, um, efforts and, and also learning how ignorant people are. I mean, to, 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 it's not in our podcast, it's not on our list of stories, but you saw the, the drama with the CNN's animation, didn't you? Oh yeah. Oh man, that was great. So the, the <laughs> animation that shows a, so supposed bump fire stock equipped gun as it's bump firing in the animation. And it's also, they made sure to put a silencer or suppressor and a grenade launcher on that firearm. But in reality, it did not actually have a bump fire stock on it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, this is how a bump bump stock works. And they show this animation of it going back and forth and there's no bump stock on the rifle at all. (laughs) Here's another thing, Jacob. Here's another thing. I love it. You know, I look at that animation like that, and it shows the the um, the uh, receiver extension tube. Okay, so the uh, uh, boy, I'm having a brain fart all of a sudden, but it, it just shows the the gun sliding back and forth in, into the adjustable stock, right? That most ARs have, and I have to look at that too. And you know darn well that the anti gunners would love to outlaw adjustable butt stocks. And that animation's perfect to, even though it's completely wrong in what it was trying to show, but it's also perfect to just further re-entrench folks on that side of things to say, but we also got to get rid of adjustable stocks too. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is, it is a downward spiral and there's no question that that's where the, they will, they will take it inch by inch. The gun grabbers will take whatever they can get and they'll take it. And then they'll go after more. And anything mm-hmm. we give them will bring them closer to the goal. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to do a video on this soon. So those of you who follow our YouTube channel will see this. But I'm going to do a video that basically says, whether you know it or not, you're asking for gun confiscation. And I, I truly, honestly believe that anyone who's asking for any gun control is asking for gun confiscation, even if they don't know that that's what they're asking for, because all gun control measures lead to confiscation, not necessarily because, you know, for whatever specific reason, but simply for the broad reason that anything else they're trying to get past won't stop this. And because all these things won't stop the thing they think they will stop, they'll have to keep going until they take away all the guns. Because taking away all the guns even though it won't fully get rid of firearm-related crime, it will reduce it. 
that's just true. Like if anyone's listening and you think I'm wrong, like I think I think you're I think you're wrong. I think it's naive to believe that if all guns were made illegal, that gun-related crime wouldn't go down. I'm not saying it would disappear. I'm saying it would go down. Like there's no doubt in my mind. It doesn't mean we'd get rid of tragedy, but ultimately all gun control efforts have to lead to confiscation because the only thing that could make any difference. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we've we've hit so many of those issues before. We a number of months ago, we even did an episode talking about Australian style gun control and how the Australians, even with like complete gun control uh, or gun uh, banning laws in place, still have gun related crime. And in fact, it's been on an uptick for a number of years now because of the black market, which will continue to exist. Uh, anyway, so Jacob. Addressing specifically media um, issues <laughs> relating to reporting on guns, gun-related crimes, uh, and or gun control-related things, uh, you wrote an article this last week called Guide to Gun Law and Gun Control for American Journalists. I thought we would touch on that a little bit. Yeah. So this came out of uh, a late night. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. I saw like 10 publications in a row whose headlines were effectively, like there were, there were two kind of commonalities in headlines. Either the headline said, Nevada has some of the most lax gun laws in the nation. Or the headline said, in Nevada, anyone can buy a fully automatic gun without a background check. And they may not have said that perfectly that way, but they inferred it in the headlines. And there were so many publications that had headlines that were variations of those two things that I, I just about threw up. Uh, it was just sickening. I was like, you people are so clueless. I read so many articles last week that were just embarrassing. USA Today, CNN. I mean, publications that we should expect a high level of credible journalism. So I decided to, t- to put on my data man hat, take off my opinion hat, which is real easy for me, by the way, as you know, and write basically a guide to American gun law. And so in this guide, I address background checks, the supposed gun show loopholes, um, universal background check legislation, gun registration, FOPA, NFA. Um, I clarify semi-auto versus full auto. I talk about open carry, campus carry, concealed carry, reciprocity, campus carry. And the whole thing, while it's very long, has zero opinions. It is purely, this is what the law currently says, and this is how it currently works, FYI. And uh, I sent this to a handful of news organizations, and I've gotten some really positive feedback. Oh, that's great. This is uh, an astounding article. I mean, it's incredibly detailed uh, and long. <laughs> I don't know how many words this is, but it's a fairly long article compared to most that we publish on a day-to-day basis on our website. Um, I would certainly But it's hope- easy to understand. There's oh, nothing about yeah. this that is this complex. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's long because you address all of these issues like you you already touched on, uh, which so often are reported on falsely or incorrectly or inaccurately in our mainstream media today. Um, yeah, yeah, that that has become, become so evident in all the talk about, there's been references this week we've heard to bump fire stocks and what they allow or don't allow a gun to do, uh, you know, modifications to a gun and how easy it is supposedly to make it fully automatic. Uh, falsehoods, obviously, as we've already touched on about suppressors uh, and, and a whole bunch of things. So uh, I 
was pretty excited when I read through this article and, and, uh, I, I hope this gets in the hands of more journalists. So folks, actually, if you hear, uh, on your local media or, or elsewhere, uh, of false statements or reporting in regards to guns and how they work or gun regulations and how they work or whatever, and I would point you in the direction of this article and ask that maybe you share that with that media outlet and uh, let them know that concealedcarry.com is always here as a resource uh, if they ever want to fact check or get some uh, input on things before they go out and make, you know, dummies of themselves. <laughs> well, I, I would say this too, like this, this article was required reading for our employees. Uh, I, I asked everybody to read this because I want to make sure that my team actually knows what the law says. Um, if you feel confident, you already know what the law says. Great. I'm not asking that you go read this for your own benefit, but share this. Yeah. Putting this on my personal Facebook profile was probably the most impactful thing I've done to my friends and family in years. Um, it was amazing how many people who you know are, fr- are just friends and family read this and commented on Facebook said, "Wow, Jacob, like this was extraordinarily helpful." So anyway, that would be my two cents. The links in the show notes: Guide to Gun Law and Gun Control for American Journalists. Go read it if you want, but at the very least, share this and spread the spread the knowledge. Speaking of friends and family, uh, there's been a lot of debate, obviously, in the last week, and uh, I kind of got into a little bit of a discussion with a friend of mine, a good friend. We go way back. Uh, he is not pro-gun. Uh, he is, he, we, he, we do not see eye to eye on many government policies at all, <laughs> but yet we are good friends and we have a lot of respect for one another. And he posted some things on social media that just I was, I, I couldn't help myself. I usually do not engage with him because it doesn't go anywhere. And I, I, I couldn't help myself, so I, I engaged, I responded, and uh, like I said, it didn't go anywhere. And, you know, that's unfortunate, um, but, but it's also the unfortunate reality of many people on the other side of this gun issue that you, you sometimes just can't argue with, I'm not saying he's stupid you know, intellectually, he's actually a pretty smart person, but on some issues, people can be stupid, and it's pretty darn hard to argue with stupid. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily the way we win this debate. We're, we don't, we're not going to win this, this war on guns uh, by arguing with those that are already so deeply entrenched. Uh, you know, th- we're, we're not going to change very many minds uh, on that side of things. Where we're going to win is with the highly influ- influenced people that are more in the middle. And it's articles like this, Jacob, that I think it's education like that, that is straightforward, that is factual, that is to the point that I think has a great chance to influence those that are in that, that, that middle, uh, set of people that, um, and so I would also, I mentioned this because I think it's a tactic or a, a way I would suggest listeners or our podcast, try to engage with people and try to be factual, try to be to the point, try to be educational and focus more on those that can be influenced that uh, haven't really made up their minds fully yet, as opposed to having all out verbal wars with people that you're just not going to get anywhere with. Speaking of a highly controversial subject uh, that... (laughs) And actually, let me just say, 
The sad thing is when we have things like this and within our own ranks, we have uh, uh, discord where we're fighting within our own selves. And last week, the NRA came out with a statement saying, we think bump, bump fire stocks should be at least looked at that, you know, the ATF, the regulatory agency that would deal with that should review them and see if they comply or don't comply uh, with current uh, statutes is basically what the statement said. Um, many people and somewhat including myself, uh, this was an outcry by people saying the NRA was just giving in. Um, and, uh, I, I kind of felt that way too. I, I, frankly, I felt like the NRA spoke up a little soon and sort of stepped in it. Um, but there's this article on the truth about guns.com that, uh, I, I came across and I thought I had to share. Actually, it was initially shared, uh, with me via Michael Bain, uh, folks are familiar with the outdoor channel know who Michael Bain is. Uh, he shared this on his Facebook page and I read this article and I thought, Okay, I mean that's 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 an interesting take. Did you go through this article at all, Jacob? And I'm curious for your thoughts. I I did, and the title of the article for those of you who are curious is the NRA's position on bump fire stocks was genius, and essentially the author uh, of this article, whose last name I share, though we're not related, that makes the argument that the NRA was actually really smart in in the way they approached this, and it kind of talks through all of the really effective, like, cool things that will come from them taking the position that they did. I read through it. I, I don't know that I care to review all the points that are made. I do think it's probably worth a read for our listeners, and uh, I, I think it's good to not be so hasty, you know, and, and to actually kind of maybe get a sense for maybe some of the things that the NRA might have been thinking uh, when they when they did what they did. Um, th- there's some valid arguments made here. Yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, a lot of people were up in arms uh, at, at the NRA. Uh, and, you know, folks saying, I'm withdrawing my support. I am uh, no longer going to be, a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn in my, well, if, I guess if you're a life member, you're a life member, but basically saying they would leave the organization and things like that. And and that's a pretty extreme position to take, although it's one I can kind of understand. I mean, that's the reason why we have organizations like this. Uh, when an organization doesn't, including a business, doesn't do what we think they should do when we're a supporter of them, well, we have the opportunity to withdraw that support. And that's our way of communicating uh, our, our support or non-support, our displeasure or our satisfaction with their with their stance. And obviously their the NRA's stance was a little bit controversial, but let me just share one piece of this that I, I think is at least worth thinking about and considering. Uh keep in mind that the NRA as a political organization has to take political stances and they have to play a political game. And that game frankly is ugly and it's one that most of us don't care for, and we don't understand. I, I don't understand it, and I don't like it either. But it is the reality of the world we live in. Um, so quoting from this article written by uh, Johannes uh, Paulson, uh, he says, uh, this was a smart move for the price of giving up something that couldn't be defended anyway. They've improved their strategic position in two ways. One, the NRA dodged an incoming blow from the enemy aimed at, po- at poisoning the image of their organization in the minds of the people. 
And two, the NRA has taken a position that requires the enemy to attack its own allies if they want an immediate victory. Uh, and quoting again, wait a minute, shouldn't the NRA fight tooth and nail against every regulation that remotely affects guns? Now, by the way, most NRA members, I, I suspect, including myself, I mean, kind of feel like that's what we should do. Like we should fight tooth and nail against every regulation. Jacob, you kind of suggested that in saying every piece of gun control legislation is in a sure. sense, you know, leading towards gun confiscation. And so, yes, very emotionally, we are inclined to be like, we should not give in. I even posted on social media. I'm like, we should, you know, don't give up the fight. Don't give up over this bump stock thing. Um, but, but answering that question in this article, he says, no, as any gambler knows, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. In this case, the enemy has blind, ignorant, emotional fear. That's very true. In a mass audience, also very true. And a clearly defined target bump fire stocks in opposition. The pro bump fire stock side has, well, not much bump fire stocks. Don't add anything to a citizen's ability to use a rifle in defense of herself or our nation. They appear to be fashion accessories for entertainment purposes only. In fact, the slide fire tagline is prepare to change the way you play. As far as self-interest goes, we're lucky if maybe one-tenth of one percent of gun owners actually own or aspire to get one. Standing against this would devalue the credibility of the NRA in the minds of people who are, or who, again, are being guided by irrational fear in the aftermath of an atrocity. People tend not to respond well to others who exacerbate their fears. So essentially what it's saying is, this is a losing battle uh, from a PR standpoint, from a public, you know, facing standpoint, um, and that the other side will paint those of us that are supporters in any way of bump stocks as being horrible, murderous people. And that is the argument that they will use to win. And frankly, after the atrocity that committed, that was committed, that's, that's a high likelihood that that is, that, that, that will be a winning argument, even though it's a, it's one based in, in false, you know, uh, emotions. So essentially by the NRA, I guess what he's saying is they got ahead of this and it positions it in such a way where at least the NRA can sort of take a, take the fall on our behalf by saying, look, we don't support this either. They didn't really say that. They said they should just be reviewed by the ATF to see if they are compliant with federal law or not, which if you'll note, that's a pretty politically savvy way of saying, yeah, we, don't support, but we aren't saying we don't support, <laughs> right? And uh, and it, it gets them ahead of it and it makes it seem like we're not as horrible of people as what people like Jimmy Kimmel are going to make us sound like. Sure. Sorry for ram- rattle- rambling on, but I'm kind of passionate about it. Yeah, I, I got that. So I know this is a still a controversial to- topic. Uh, many of you listeners are, are probably screaming at your radios or your iPhones or whatever right now saying, you know, how dare you try to sound reasonable on this issue? <laughs> uh, the NRA should, should not have, you know, done what they did, but, uh, but they did. And, and, and uh, you know, actually, we'll just see how it plays out. I, I think uh, as a nation, as a industry as a whole, we, we still stay, stand fast and stay strong. Um, please note that the thing that makes me probably more upset than the NRA itself, Jacob, is the fact that the industry basically self-regulated itself by pulling bump stocks off the market. 
And yes, that happened very much voluntarily. All major retailers, including Cabela's, Bass Pro, um, you, you name the stores, they've pulled Bumpfire stocks off the shelves and off the websites. That is more troubling to me than anything the NRA did because we as an industry, it basically committed a form of self-gun control. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, heaven, heaven forbid someone tweet that you, know, you can buy them at Cabela's. You know, yep. I mean, that that's the issue here. Now, Jacob, let me uh, turn it over to you and let you talk about some happy news. And by happy, this is legislation or, or, or a, it's a legal update that is uh, positive. <laughs> yes. So Washington, D.C. is now a shall issue state. It's amazing. Uh, we're, we're on second round of lawsuits on this one. And the U.S. Court of Appeals for District Columbia uh, in the case Wren versus D.C., has made a decision that ultimately D.C.'s practice of requiring gun owners to show good cause to deserve and have a concealed carry permit is unconstitutional. And I tell you, I read the decision, Riley. Did you get a chance to read it? It's it's brutally long. Uh, not in its entirety, but I, I believe I'm familiar enough with it to understand uh, what's going it's on. It's long. And it was amazing. It was so enlightening and it was so awesome to read because essentially the gist of it was that past Supreme Court decisions have made it clear that the core of the Second Amendment is to allow the private citizen to bear or carry a gun for self-defense. Yeah. And so the state has an obligation to allow legally that a citizen who's not otherwise, um, you know, otherwise a danger to himself or others by some obvious reason, uh, to, that they should be able to carry a gun in public places that are not uh, otherwise uh, unreasonable to do so, and so you know they they basically countered all the arguments that DC was making. DC said, "Well, our entire city is special, and so people shouldn't be able to have guns here." And they said, "Not BS." And DC said, well, you know, the, the Second Amendment doesn't protect the right for people to have concealed guns. Like, yeah, it does. Well, the Second Amendment doesn't protect the right for people to have guns at all. Um, yeah, it does. And so it, it was a phenomenal decision and one that uh, I think is, you know, it's not that, that that decision will be referred to by future courts. It's that because that decision referred to past U.S. Supreme Court decisions, it paints a very clear picture for how the U.S. Supreme Court has protected the Second Amendment in the past, and that makes it very hard for any other court to to deny that in the future. Which, by the way, is quite the departure from years past where that was not the case. I mean, it honestly is only in the, well, since Heller, and maybe a little bit before that, since the Supreme Court has really made it clear that there is a individual's right to a firearm for personal protection or, or self-defense. And this, and keep in mind, this ruling was from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. That's amazing to me because typically this, at least by his historical stand, standards, this is not a conservative court uh, in, in terms of the you know, it's application of the Constitution. And so this Court of Appeals has affirmed the decision that 
uh, that the Supreme Court has held that there is an individual's right to possess and carry a firearm for self-defense. And that is a powerful place to be. D.C. now becomes a shall-issue we can't say state because it's not a state. It sure shall is. issue. It is a state. It's not a state. A shall issue <laughs> jurisdiction. A state. I'm using the word state in the more general use of the term. Oh, okay. It Try is a state fancier. in the same way that Canada is a state. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it is. It is a, a legal jurisdiction. Therefore, it's a state. Think about how huge this is to go from, uh, you know, the district, the, the former District of Columbia, where handguns were basically outlawed. They were. They were completely outlawed. Now, where it is a shall-issue concealed carry jurisdiction. That is huge, and that's happened in the last 10 years. Unbelievable. By the way, 77% of D.C. carry permit applications were denied up until this thing, until this ruling. Now, basically, a, a far greater percentage than that will be most likely be accepted because of this ruling. That is a huge, huge change. It, by the way, I just was thinking, this I think is a good way of describing the difference between a may issue, which is how DC was until this ruling, and a shall issue jurisdiction. And the distinction would be that in a may issue situation, the burden of proof, in other words, you proving that you should have that permit is on you. And in a shall issue jurisdiction, the burden of proof is on the state or the government to, to find a valid reason why you shouldn't have that permit. And so it's a big, big difference and a big, big win for those in D.C. and I think for the rest of us as a whole. Yeah, ditto. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, let's get now to our first justified story. And this one comes to us from Chicago. Whoa, surprise there. Uh, where a robber goes after an armored truck driver with a sledgehammer, but gets shot. This happened this last Saturday at 9.30 a.m. in Little Village, a part of Chicago. A driver was making a delivery and he got out of the truck while carrying a bag. This is pretty typical. This happens every day across the country where armored truck drivers are picking up cash or dropping off cash or other valuables. And a man in reflective clothing, it says, according to an FBI news release, hit the driver with a sledgehammer and tried to rob the driver. Fortunately, the driver shot the man and he ran away. The man was spotted in a car at a nearby intersection and was taken into custody, the FBI said. He was taken to Mount Sinai Hospital in critical condition. The driver himself also suffered life-altering wounds. So clearly this is a case where the the driver, the victim in this, I mean, he ended up being victorious, but the the. The, the man that was attacked, he didn't get out of this unscathed either, but yet he was able to still put down uh, defensive fire. Yeah, being hit with a sledgehammer probably hurts. So it's, is this an interesting one? It's just kind of unique and, and different. And so I kind of you know get a kick out of, out of the unique quality here. But, you know, the takeaway, don't attack people who have guns. And that, you know, in, in, in converse, if you're going to get attacked, be, have a gun. Yeah, yeah. So that's a pretty cool story. I mean, I, cool in that it, it just pumps me up when uh, good people have a gun available to them 
and they're able to use it effectively to stop a life-threatening situation. I mean, a sledgehammer, man. I mean, ah, man, that that can really do some damage. And I would think if you're if you're attacking somebody because you, you, with a sledgehammer because you're trying to take a big cash or a big bag full of cash, you're probably. I mean, I would think you're swinging, in, you know, at them in such a way to actually be effective. I mean, in other words. It would not surprise me if somebody got hit in the head or something by by something like that. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> Ouch. Um, so here's another story. And this is also from the Chicago area. Uh, police said that a home invader was shot multiple times in Bronzeville. Homeowner opened fire on a man who's trying to break into a residence late Saturday in the Bronzeville neighborhood on the south side, police said. Uh, a 44-year-old man suffered multiple gunshot wounds to the body at 10.54 p.m. as he was trying to break into a home. The homeowner told investigators that he opened fire after the man forced his way into the home with a crowbar. A suspect then jumped into a vehicle, which fled to Mercy Hospital. Uh, so... This criminal was smart enough to drive to a hospital as opposed to being arrested and taken to one. Yeah, I don't mean to laugh. It's just the way this is worded just uh, just is kind of comical to me. I mean, like he's obviously doing something he shouldn't be doing, and the consequence of that is he gets shot, and the vehicle flees immediately to Mercy Hospital. He arrived there in critical condition. The homeowner is a 60-year-old man. He has a valid FOID card. That's the Illinois uh, firearm owner's identification card and he also has a concealed carry permit which i'll remind you that until recently you couldn't even have in especially in chicago so anyway there's another great story uh, featuring justified use of deadly force next story is out of north carolina rowan county where a man shoots a car break-in suspect Take this away, Jacob. So just around 5 a.m., deputies are called to a home on Longfield Drive where they find a man suffering from a gunshot wound. The resident, this is our gun owner, Scott Moose, said he had video of the man trying to break into his car. This is interesting. Like, this is my first thought. He had enough time to pause and record video. Okay, let that sink in. Continuing on the news story, Moose said once he confronted the suspect, the 19-year-old Jason Lambert, Uh, went to his vehicle and tried to leave. But there was an exchange, and the homeowner fired a shot and hit Lampert in the head area, according to deputies. Okay, so we've seen stories like this before. Put it together, right? You're in your home. You look out the window. Someone's trying to break into your car. You think this is a great thing to put on the gram. So you grab your phone. You start recording some video, and it's like, check it out. It's trying to break my car. After a while, you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to go talk to this guy. So you grab your gun, you walk out like, Hey, yo, stop trying to break into my car. And the criminal doesn't confront you. He tries to leave, tries to get in his own vehicle and leave. But somehow at some point, we don't know the vehicles, the details, there's an exchange and the homeowner shoots and hits the bad guy in the head. I have a lot of question marks in my mind about this one. Not only like, why did we go out and confront him at all, but also how did shots get fired when the bad guy was in his vehicle and trying to leave? Yeah. It sounds to me like someone is trying to prevent his escape and trying to, you know, stop the criminal from, from getting away. Yeah. You know, by the way, just in full, uh, uh, 
disclosure, the uh, 19-year-old suspect who was hit in the head area uh, by this shot fired uh, is expected to be okay. Um, not that necessarily matters because still use of deadly force was used here. Now, North Carolina stand your ground law says a person is justified in using deadly force when he or she reasonably believes it is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself, herself, or another. It's very typical. Which is technically not a stand your ground law at all. Yeah, but this is poor journalists can be excused false. for mixing terminology. Correct. That's false reporting by this uh, media uh, company, uh, which this was reported on WSOCTV.com, uh, Channel 9 of, uh, news affiliate. Uh, but here's the other thing. It also states when the suspect was in the process of lawfully, uh, excuse me, unlawfully and forcefully entering or had unlawfully and forcibly entered a home, motor vehicle, or workplace, suggesting that it would be justified to use deadly force in the case that he's entering, forcibly entering a motor vehicle. However, what, what is distinctive about this story, Jacob, is that, yes, the suspect was entering a motor vehicle, and the man is likely going to claim, uh, claim uh, uh, what's the word, um, you know, that he was justified in that he, that it fit under the statute, but it's not been tested in the courts, and especially North Carolina, uh, as to whether that law applied only when someone was inside that motor vehicle or if they could use deadly force outs, from outside the motor vehicle, trying to prevent that forcible entry into the motor vehicle. And so that is going to be the interesting thing that we'll, uh, we'll see if that comes about, if that comes into play. It's not been said whether um, the man that fired the shots is going to face charges or not, but I suspect that could be a component that comes into play. So generally not wise to try to involve yourself in a non-violent situation, which I know it might seem crazy to some, but you're a witness to a car break-in. Remain, try to remain a witness as much as possible. So I know we've covered that many times on the podcast before. Final story, justified story. Uh, this is in Orlando, and it's funny because we just returned from there a few weeks ago. Jacob and I did. A uh, man fights with attempted burglar, bystander struck by bullet. And the story is a bystander was struck by a bullet as a man tried to fend off a suspect in a home invasion in Orlando, police said. The Orlando Police Department said they received a call about a burglary on Messina Avenue just before 9 p.m. on Wednesday. While heading to the scene, officers were called to another address on that, uh, or excuse me, on Marbello Boulevard. I thought it was the same street, but it was different. doesn't matter. Officers arrived on scene. They learned the suspect from the Messina Avenue situation had kicked in a door at a home on Marbello Boulevard first. So we have two crime scenes. A man inside grabbed a handgun and had some sort of physical altercation with a suspect when a woman who was also inside the home was shot unintentionally, according to police. The attempted burglar ran from Marbella Boulevard to Messina Avenue where he broke a window of a home to get inside. Officers were able to arrest that man and the woman who was shot was in stable condition. Obviously, the suspect will be charged and no charges uh, obviously expected uh, towards the homeowner at this time. Although it's interesting because this is not one we see very often, Jacob, but a bystander was hit and injured so that could become, you know, it could come into play. That that that, that is an interesting and, and an unfortunate cir circumstance. What do you think? I think that we have some tactical issues here. I mean, the, the legal things aside, we shouldn't 
ever put ourselves into a situation where we're so unprepared that we have to get into a physical fight over our gun or someone else's gun, and we can't control where shots are going. Um, I, I think that most likely the way I read this, and maybe I'm reading into it too much, but the way I read it, the homeowner, the gun owner did not have it with them, right? That There's an intrusion. They have to go and retrieve a gun. And probably as they come back to address the threat, it's too late. You know, they're, they're now in a very tactically bad position. They get into a physical fight. It's, it's just bad. You know, if you need to have a sense for how do I, am I going to defend my home? What are the potential places I can take refuge? What am I going to do? And you need to have the gun with you so you don't have to waste time going and getting it. Um, and, and the other people in your home also need to be part of that planning process and you need to practice those plans. And I know that sounds like a lot of work, but you have a gun. Like that's part of what it takes to have these kind of accidents not happen. Yeah. Uh, so I think the thing to take away from this, from my perspective, is just that it, it is a sometimes overlooked issue that the, the potential for a bystander or someone else that you don't intend to get hurt, for them to get hurt in situations like these, which only reinforces the need for really good training, preparation, practice, all those things, you know, to, to do everything you possibly can to make yourself as prepared as possible. Because it, it's hard to say what might happen, what could happen. We only can prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Well put. So with that, it we're out of time. We're going to wrap it up now with uh, uh, with these stories and an awesome news coverage for today. Um, so first up, today's episode was brought to you by Andrew Brink as the Law of Self Defense. Andrew and his company, the Law of Self Defense, has joined forces with ConcealedCarry.com and our podcast to bring to you the best legal education related to the law of self-defense. Trust me, if you're like any of these other other individuals that we have shared on the podcast today, you're going to want to have the best knowledge and also the ability to give your defense attorney, if it comes to that, the best case possible to, to, to keep you from going to jail. So, you need to go check out Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense program. Now, he, he has this available through all sorts of, uh, whether it's online training videos, DVDs you could purchase, in-person training, and he has just announced that he's also launching live online training. It's the same training you would get in an in-person class, but you can get it online live where questions are answered, uh, and you'll see it presented to you the same way you'd see it in person in a classroom. I just wanted to highlight a couple of his upcoming classes. Uh, if you go check these out, uh, in Lakewood, Colorado on October 14th, Central City, Iowa, October 21st. Now, these are for his Level 1 Law of Self-Defense courses. Uh, typically, these dates have a Level 2 class that follows the day after, and you need a Level 1 class to qualify for the Level 2 class. Uh November 4th in Delaware, Ohio, uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, South Dakota in February. So that's just a couple of upcoming class dates. If you're anywhere near those locations, you might want to go check those out, but also check out his live online uh, training (laughs) that I mentioned just a second ago. Anyway, the point is go to concealedcarry.com forward slash L O S D and get signed up today or check out his book, his DVDs, and his other great products. Also, today's episode is brought to you by Sports Afield. After listening to these justified stories today on the podcast, 
I hope you would consider storing your weapons safely and also responsibly in a manner that allows you to retrieve them quickly. Check out Sports Afield's full line of quick access handgun vaults as well as their full line of full-size rifle safes. They, yes, these are the same, this is the same brand as Sports Afield that has made or published a magazine for over 100 years. Trust them with your firearm storage and security needs and get a free one-year subscription to the magazine with purchase. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield and see the full lineup today. So anyway, we're going to sign off now for today's episode. We hope that you will be safe out there, folks, that you will get well-trained. And so train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.